Um, it's good to be with you guys today as we kick off a new series, Kingdom Come, a study of um, our priorities as, as we look and filter them through the reality of Christ's kingdom. I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and we drove to Colorado, and it's a long drive we through Utah. And one of the things we do on long drives, we have had a great time just finding books to listen to. Um, and we always pick someone who, who's had a life of impact for the kingdom. This year, we listened to the book, Through Gates of Splendor. I've read the book many times, but it was awesome to listen to it. And it's the story of Jim Elliott. His wife, Elizabeth, wrote it. And he, Jim and four other missionaries um, were attempting to reach a primitive tribe um, in eastern Ecuador. And they were killed by the people they were trying to reach. Jim Elliott, when he was in college, long before he ever found himself in Ecuador, said this, and, and as this quote, I heard it on the tape, it, it spoke so richly to me. Jim Elliott, whose life was amazingly focused on the reality of who he was in Christ and the reality that his life was no longer his own, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I thought about that in the context of this idea of how we live a life of kingdom-mindedness. He knew that his life was temporal and he knew that his life was not his. And he realized it's no fool to give up something that isn't even mine that I cannot keep in order to gain what I cannot lose. We have taken the sermon title from the Lord's Prayer where we pray to God and we say, God, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, Ryan talked about this as we finished out our short stories, short stories, um, summer series through the parables. And he talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And I encourage you to listen to that. He talks a lot about what, what Christ's kingdom means, what God's kingdom means. But I've simplified the definition a little bit for us. And this is how I want us to think about it today. I want us to think about Christ's kingdom as Christ's reign and rule in heaven, in all of creation, and in our individual hearts. Ryan mentioned last week this truth about God's kingdom. It has a now and a not yet quality to it. We experience much of the blessings in Christ and in his kingdom now as Christ followers. We experience forgiveness. We experience joy. We experience relationship with God. We experience abundant life. We experience the reality that we live under no condemnation. We experience the gifts and the power of the spirit and many, many other things. But the fullness of his kingdom awaits the return of Christ. Then there will be no more sin. No more sickness, no more tears, no more depression, no more spiritual warfare. Imagine this. This is the reality. No more racism, no more war or threats of war. Imagine living in that. No more death. But as we in our time on earth wait for the not yet, the reality is, is that God has called us to live in a certain way in the right now of Christ's kingdom. How does God desire to use us to help his kingdom come? 
How do our lives point to the kingdom? In this series, we're going to spend the next few weeks covering several specific ways that we foster a kingdom mindset in our priorities. What does it mean to be kingdom focused with our time? What does it mean to be kingdom focused with our money? What does it mean to be kingdom focused with our talent, with our family, with our relationships? That's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. But today, as we begin this series, I want to try to lay this sort of general framework for the whole idea of kingdom mindedness. What does it mean to be kingdom minded? Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful to sit in this diverse room and to see so many different kinds of people. Every person in this room, even those who are not in relationship with you, I can see as being made in your image. And there's a beauty to the faces that are in this room because of that. God, as we talk about your kingdom today, I pray you would soften our hearts. This is sort of a, an odd concept when you actually start to think about it. But God, I don't think it's that complicated. But I do think that many of us are in places where we are focused on kingdoms other than yours. And I pray, God, you would open and soften the hearts of each person in this room to hear what you would have for them this morning. God, I pray that much would be made of you in this place. I pray that you would be pleased by what happens here today. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament that we could turn to in discussing Christ's kingdom. And how Christ's kingdom shapes our lives. But the passage that kept coming to my mind, a passage that really spoke to me in in this whole idea of living a kingdom-focused life several years ago, um, is Matthew 6, starting in verse um, 31. So please turn there. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you open to the middle of your Bible, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're looking for Matthew 6, starting in verse 31. Let's read this together. As, we, as, as Jesus gets into this, this particular verse, he's been talking about worrying about how we find ourselves so anxious about life. And he says this in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. For the world outside of me seeks after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them all. Verse 33. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It was back in 2005, and I was just wrestling with a lot of things in my life. I had been in full-time ministry at that point up to four years, uh, just, just over four years, and I had been a Christian for many years. But God had parked me in a season in Matthew 5 and 6, and it had been one of those where I just spent so much time, and God was just showing me the reality that God and his way of looking at the world and his way of dealing with the world is upside down from how the world does things. But I realized in this time, God was showing me that I called myself a Christ follower, but I was living my life very right side up in how I looked at at all areas of my life. I was living in a kingdom of self mentality, even in the middle of full-time ministry, even after leaving my law practice for ministry and on the outside looking very sold out for God. I was journaling through issues this one day in particular, just journaling and writing all this stuff that I was concerned about. And and I, I just shut my journal and I opened my Bible to where I already was, which was in Matthew 6. 
And I read this passage, and it was as if God spoke to me in that moment, not audibly, but into my soul, like he told me, you are not seeking me and my kingdom first. Because I'm a journaler, I write everything down, and I looked back at my journal from that time, and I wrote down then everything that I was seeking at that point in my life. My list was friendship, community, healing, my calling, riches, consolation, identity, respect, security, safety, pleasure, purpose, affirmation. None of those things are bad, but I was seeking all of those things above him and his kingdom. I wasn't seeking his kingdom first. I had a veneer of kingdom focus, but it was just that. It was just a veneer. I fit God into the things where I wanted him or maybe the things where I felt like I really needed him, but I left him out completely of other things in my life instead of seeking him and his kingdom first with the whole of my life. I thought I was kingdom-minded. I thought I was kingdom-focused, but I was really still at the end of the day focused mainly on the kingdom of myself. So, I think that kingdom-mindedness really comes down to this. This is sort of how God showed me what kingdom-mindedness looks like. It's really how we see the world and how we see our own lives. So we have human eyes. Even as Christ followers, we have human eyes. And and outside of God's intervention, we are only able to see the life through our human earthly dimension. And often even the human earthly dimension that we see is covered by our experiences and our human fleshly desires. What we need are kingdom lenses. Kingdom lenses that provide a filter over the limitations of our human eyes. And that allow us to see the world in the context of our personal surrender to the rule of reign and reign of Christ in our lives. My girls, my son could care less, but my girls are really into Instagram. Like seriously. Like they're going to get carpal tunnel from scrolling, hitting the heart. Scrolling, hitting the heart. Scrolling, hitting the heart. But uh, on our trip to Colorado... They were taking pictures and we saw a lot of beautiful things. And they were always talking about what filter should we use on this picture? And I said, well, just how about just what it is? That's, that's a pretty good filter. <laughs> but that wasn't enough. And so I had Frances do something for me. I had her take a picture of our backyard. And the picture should be on the screen. So the picture on the left is our actual yard. And then she applied a few filters. One of them, it looks like it's actually not foggy. On the west side of the city in the summer. One of them, it brings out the detail in the grass. The other one looks like it's a totally different color. The filter that we look through changes what we see. And the question is, do you see your life through a kingdom filter? When you look at your family, do you see your family through the filter of Christ's kingdom? When you look at your money, do you see your money through the filter of God's kingdom? When you look at your job or your friendships or your relationships, when you look at the way you drive in the city, when you look at the causes you support, when you look at how you treat your neighbors, when you look at the daily choices and decisions you make in your life, are you looking through the filter of Christ's kingdom? Or do you selectively take your kingdom glasses 
on and off based on where you think your God, Christ's kingdom fits into your life. I think whether we realize it or not, that many of us, that's what we do. We take them on and off based on where we see God's kingdom fitting. Or we don't even have them on at all. God has called us to a life, every aspect of life, of kingdom focus and kingdom-mindedness. As I was thinking of this, I, I think there are really three ways that we as Christ followers manifest Christ's kingdom in the details of our lives. The first one is this. In everything, we should reflect Christ's kingdom. In everything, in everything we do, from our most mundane activities, our most mundane decisions, our most mundane responses to life, from the way that we look at someone, the way we treat the person who checks us out at the grocery store, the way we drive our car, from, from the most mundane and routine to the most impactful decisions and activities and responses of our life, whether we take a new job, whether we buy a large new house, whether we move to a new city, in everything we should reflect Christ's kingdom. The second way is this. We always reflect Christ's kingdom. We sometimes proclaim Christ's kingdom. And by that, I mean when we have an opportunity through our words and through conversation, as we talk about the impact of Christ in our lives, the impact of his kingdom in our lives. And even when we aren't specifically talking about that, but when we are having a conversation, do our words proclaim Christ's kingdom? We reflect always. We sometimes proclaim and finally, we always consider Christ's kingdom in every action, every decision, every word that we speak. Am I considering Christ's kingdom first? Not my kingdom, not the kingdom of America, not my kids' kingdom, but Christ's kingdom. So I want you to think about that as we talk today. These, these ways of living out Christ's kingdom in our life reflect, proclaim and consider. As Ryan was talking last week, I had this image of First SF as a kingdom outpost in San Francisco, one of the most lost, most secular cities in the United States. I had this very vivid image of us as a body of Christ in this local church of First SF, truly standing out in the city where we've been placed, standing out in our culture a collective group of people with a decidedly different filter through which we see both our individual lives and the lives around us. But I thought about this. Being a kingdom outpost in San Francisco is more than just doing and not doing certain things. I thought about this a few years ago. I'd moved here. I was really wrestling with what it means to be a witness to Christ in the city and in the West. I was really um, thinking about myself and, and about the culture. And I had this thought as I came out of the Muni station at Church Street. Most Christians live just like the world lives, just with more rules. Think about that. We very often tend to have similar goals financially. We spend our money on the same things. We want the same things for our careers. We obsess over the same things. We worry over the same things. We fear the same things that the world fears. 
We are as stressed out often and as driven as the world. And then on top of that, we just have a list of do's and don'ts that we selectively adhere to. Where is the hope in that? What if your neighbors see you as living just like them, except that you don't get to go to brunch on Sunday? Is that Christianity? Is that you? It's me many times. Is your Christianity about your relationship with the God of the universe who also happens to care for you? Or is it mainly a moral code? Because there are many noble moral codes. But there's only one kingdom of the living God. So as we prepare for this important series, I wanted to give you um, just some things to think about this week and in the coming weeks as we begin to prepare our hearts and our minds for this journey. And I think it's such an important journey to undertake. The first one is this. Examine yourselves and open yourselves to examination. We are ch- Ryan mentioned this as we talked about our, our own hearts towards racism, but it goes far beyond that. We are challenged often in Scripture to assess ourselves, to assess our lives, sometimes even challenged to assess our salvation. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David said in Psalm 26, 2, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. After a very hard letter where Paul addressed the errors of the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul challenges that church in this way. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror honestly if we are ever going to change. We have to submit ourselves to God's probing. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 3 about the value of God's word. It is valuable for teaching. It is valuable, yes, for knowledge. But it's also valuable for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. Look honestly at your life. Where do your values lie? And let me challenge you, don't just listen to your words. Look at your actions. Stephanie and I have worked with married couples for many years who have um, uh, had broken trust in their marriage. And one of the things we tell them over and over again is that trust is rebuilt not by words. Trust is rebuilt by actions. We can say a lot of good things, but what do your actions say? I think it is so easy without really realizing that it's even happening to find ourselves consumed, not by the kingdom of Christ, but consumed and controlled by other kingdoms. Last week, Ryan preached on the the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And one of the things in that parable, it says in a very positive way, it says it compares um, the ultimate reach of God's kingdom. God's kingdom will be like leaven that it says eventually works its way through 
the whole of creation, a very beautiful thought of the power of God's kingdom. Eventually, it will be like leaven. It will work its way through the whole of creation. But other places in the scripture, leaven is spoken of in a negative sense. As Ryan spoke and taught on that last week, I've been spending this summer in Galatians, and I immediately thought of what Paul says about leaven in Galatians. He says the leaven of legalism will also work its way through and can ruin the whole dough. Perhaps the leaven of self or the leaven of worldly or secular thinking has slowly taken over your way of thinking and you haven't even noticed it. Sometimes we need someone else to help us assess. We don't like this. But the truth is there's a good chance that you'll be blind to the areas where the kingdom that you are building is a worldly kingdom. You need others to help you and you need to ask them to. Hopefully we have people like that in our lives that we trust. This is one of the important reasons of having kingdom-minded community. But let me tell you, if, if the other person, the person you ask, is not open to the same sort of honest assessment in their own lives, that's not the person to ask. Find somebody else. Examine yourselves and open yourselves to examination. Number two, surrender with accountability. I think sometimes we forget, or maybe we never really knew this. I wonder sometimes if people who are, who are uh, shared, if Christianity is shared in a way that we forget this part, but to follow Christ is to fully surrender to him. To be a Christian means, as the old hymn states, I surrender what? All. We should come to Christ in salvation in a posture of surrender. But the battle of our flesh, as Paul says in Romans 7, is the ongoing lifelong battle between what we want to do and what we actually do. So surrender is something that happens at the point of our salvation. Yes, but we continue to surrender as God does what we asked him to do when we examined ourselves. And number one, like we asked him to examine us, we said. And as he opens our hearts to the areas where we are seeking and serving another kingdom, he calls us to daily and regularly surrender those things. And you will not have a life that doesn't include God bringing things to the surface until you meet him in heaven. We never arrive Paul appealed to the Romans in Romans 12, 1. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, that means just set apart. Just let that soak in. Are we set apart and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship? Jesus called all who would follow him. In, in Luke 9, 23, he said, if, if someone's going to follow me, they must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Surrender is a daily, ongoing, lifelong activity. Really, this is the essence of what it means to follow Christ. It is a death to self in exchange for a magnificent new life in him. Paul described it in Galatians 2.20 when he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he says, the old me has gone and the new I have been replaced. The old me has been replaced by Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. 
Surrender is the first step to living a kingdom-minded life where we can say, just like Paul did, for me to live is Christ. When we say to live is Christ, is is like an equal sign. For me to live equals Christ and to die equals gain. So I encourage you to surrender, but I encourage you to surrender with accountability. You need to tell someone what God has revealed to you. Tell them that you are surrendering that area of life that you might have pulled outside of your Christianity and ask them to hold you accountable. I had to do this many years ago when I believed that God was calling me to ministry. And it happened to be the same year that I was up for partner at my law firm. I knew that I had to tell someone. I told three friends because I knew that the lure of partnership and all of its benefits would be strong. And I knew that I could be weak. And I knew that I had the capacity to easily justify that partnership track. I needed my friends to help me stick with my surrender. We need godly community in our lives. And then number three, pursue relationship with God. Now listen to me because that's a trite phrase. But the truth is, if we sort of push God out of certain areas of our lives, what that means ultimately, and whether we realize it or not, is that we either do not value God more than we value some area of our earthly lives, or it means that we do not trust him with those areas. And if we don't value God and trust him, that means ultimately we don't really know him. And we will not value him or trust him if we don't pursue relationship. And by relationship, I mean intimacy with God. If there is someone that I want to get to know, I spend time with them. And it is the same with God. We forget sometimes that we don't know God as well as we ever will on the day we meet him. It is a relationship that grows in intimacy. And to grow in intimacy with God means primarily that we connect with him in his word. And imagine reading your Bible not as a duty, but as the pursuit of relationship. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 warns us that if our connection with Jesus is just our religious works, then we don't really know him. And not knowing him, it says in there, has eternal consequences. This word is a book all about him. And when we read the whole of this book about who he is, we see the magnitude of his beautiful, flawless character. And we grow in trust. Make sure that what you think of God is what you read in his word. And don't just read it selectively. The whole of God's word presents his character. It is a book about us in him. Which to me, when I read about who I am, when I read about who I was and who I now am in him, it fills me with a sense of love and gratitude towards God. It's a beautiful picture that we see when we read his word and we read about who we are in him. And it's a word about his promises. And sometimes we forget there's hardly a verse in the Bible that doesn't contain a promise that is always answered yes in Christ Jesus. And when we notice and soak in his promises, that's what fills us with hope. And it's what allows us to rest rather than to strive as we live out the whole of our lives. 
I thought about it in this way. After almost 23 years with Stephanie, and I hope I did my math right. I think it's 23. She permeates my life. I know what she loves. I know what she values. I think about how things that decisions that I make will impact her. I think about how she would act in a certain situation. I run my decisions by her. I brag about her in conversation because I love her. I value her. I'm committed to her. I trust her. I know her. But if I only connected with her one day a week, and in that connection, I really just listened to someone else tell me about her. And if my relationship was simply the accomplishment of my honeydew list each week, which I have to be honest, she doesn't even give me a honeydew list. That's one of the things I love about her. <laughs> but if that's all it was, I would not have a relationship with Stephanie. I'd have a Stephanie compartment that was really very shallow. The same is true of our relationship with God. If I do not pursue relationship with God, and, and, and that doesn't mean, that means if I, if I just let other people tell me about him, if I just let other writers tell me about him, if, if I just focus on my do this and don't do this list, God is not going to permeate my life. But he'll simply occupy the compartment that I put him in. But when our relationship with him is rich, he does permeate our lives. And when he permeates our lives, we begin over time, and this is a product of ongoing growth, we begin over time to naturally see the world through the filter of his kingdom. Because we are in an intimate, close, regular, life-giving relationship with him. I thought about this. I was thinking about our vacation this summer. We went to this little town in Colorado that we love. We've been there several times, and it has a little Amish bakery, and we love the cinnamon rolls, and we were so excited about that. And we got to West Cliff, and we went to the Amish bakery, and it was closed. Dadgum lazy Amish. I mean, who knew they needed vacations? I mean, they're Amish. We were mad, but we looked closer at the door, and it said that they would reopen on the day that we were leaving. And we're like, okay, we will get cinnamon rolls to go. And then we looked closer and it said this, we will reopen on Tuesday, Lord willing. <laughs> and we were all like, Lord willing? We wanted something more definite than Lord willing. But I thought about that as I was preparing for this because those ladies... They knew that every decision they made was subject to Christ's kingdom plans for their life. By the simple Lord willing at the end of their message. And just for your information, the Lord willed. <laughs> and we got cinnamon rolls as we headed out of town. But the truth is that the world offers so many distractions to a kingdom mindset. And if we are not committed to self-examination, if we are not committed to daily surrender, if we are not committed to personal intimacy with God, we will drift back to seeing the world through the filter of ourselves. And the filter of our culture and the filter of our own experiences and the filter of our own desires can seem so very logical. 
Try declining a great job opportunity for a kingdom purpose. Try leaving everything for a life of missions. Try giving up your retirement nest egg for some kingdom purpose. Try turning the other cheek when someone attacks you. Try forgiving someone who hurts you. Try being kind to someone who is rude to you. Try standing up for the truth of God's word when the world and even your friends call you crazy. Try any one of those things and many more ways to pursue Christ's kingdom. And you will very likely face both internal and external opposition and distraction. The Holy Spirit will allow you to avoid opposition and distraction. But if you are not thoughtful and disciplined in the process, here's what happens. You won't even see the Spirit's power when it happens. You will not know it. And that will be the day that you will be hammered by a million logical reasons why the kingdom decision was not the right one to make. Or it will be the day when you never even think about the kingdom as you live your life. Or maybe the worst thing, and this happens to all of us, it'll be the day you decide intentionally to follow your own will rather than that that might reflect Christ's kingdom, that might proclaim Christ's kingdom, might consider Christ's kingdom. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Christ's kingdom is how he naturally sees the world and that he has promised that he will empower us through his spirit to see the world from his perspective. When we say Christ's perspective, that's another way of just saying the word wisdom. He sees the world so much differently than we do. But James 1, 5 says that when we ask for wisdom, he is faithful to give it. When we ask, say, God, give me your perspective on what is before me. He is faithful to give it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. His ways are not our ways, but when we lean on him, when we acknowledge him, he promises to lead us on his path. Paul encouraged the Colossians in Colossians 3, 2, to set their minds on things that are above. Set your mind on Christ's kingdom, not on things on earth. God knows that it is easy to lose perspective. It is easy to get overwhelmed with our own selves, with the concerns of life. That's why he said in Matthew 6, essentially in my paraphrase, I've got you. Just seek me first and I will take care of the rest. Ask God to guide you to make heavenly choices and earthly matters that are in alignment with his will. He will honor that prayer and you over time will begin to see things from a kingdom perspective. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is no freer place to be church than in the middle of God's good and acceptable and perfect will. So as we close, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. What am I seeking above Christ and his kingdom? We all have something. I have been flooded with areas where 
where the leaven of myself and of this culture and of life has infiltrated me and I am not seeing things from a kingdom perspective. And I believe that you have something in your life as well. My hope this week is that first, during this time of asking God to to expose you, that you will confess those things to God. And then my hope is that at some point, maybe this morning, but sometime this week, that you will bring someone in to hold you accountable as you surrender those things, as you seek to move forward in kingdom-mindedness with a kingdom focus. I know in this room that there are some of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus, and everything that we have said today may sound completely crazy to you. But I also know there are some of you in this room who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you are exhausted, and you are disillusioned by the life that you are seeking And maybe this sounds appealing to you. If you want to talk about it, please find me, find Ryan, find anyone in this room and let us know. We'd love to talk through that with you. Some of you today may, as you ask God to search your heart, you may find that most of your life does not reflect Christ's kingdom. That you're living a life almost entirely focused on yourself, but maybe with a few religious acts thrown in. Again, none of what we are talking about is something to put on a religious checklist. You surrender, and he, through his spirit, will enable you to do and be who he has called you to be. And the truth is, as you experience more and more of his magnificent love for you, as you grow an intimate relationship with him, the more naturally this mindset will happen. But if today you do find yourself in a place of deep sorrow and conviction. Simply seek him. I love, I was reading this this week for the first time that I noticed it this way, but Deuteronomy 4.29, Moses is talking to the Israelites and he's talking about the dangers of idolatry. And he says, basically, you're going to find yourself living in the midst and consumed by idols. But he says this, and I found this so hopeful. He says, at that point, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and soul, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. It's never too late to seek the Lord. Will you join me this morning in seeking him and seeking his kingdom anew? He is full of mercy and grace for you this morning. And imagine with me, this place as a kingdom outpost in this city.